0: I wonder if you like to be on time. Is punctuality something that is very important to you? Or are you a little like the rabbit in Alice in Wonderland and you're always late for a very important date? Maybe you're like some people I know and you prefer to be fashionably late. You think to arrive early is to waste your time, so don't bother turning up on time. Just leave it late. It'll be better for you. Do you want to make an entrance? Growing up, my dad always set our clocks five minutes fast. So we were always ridiculously early for everything. And it's made such an impression on me that I now hate being late. That doesn't mean that I'm not late, but it gets me anxious even thinking about being late. We were always brought up to be on time. In the story that we read from John 11 earlier, both sisters here seem to think that Jesus is late. They make the same accusation to him. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. In their opinion, Jesus was late. Like most of Jesus' followers, they'd grown accustomed to Jesus turning up right on time. At the wedding, they're running out of wine. Don't worry, there's Jesus ready to make more wine. When the Pharisees are debating and arguing and getting themselves in knots, there's Jesus right on time with that mind-boggling conclusion that sends the Pharisees away scratching their heads. Even when 5,000 people find themselves hungry on a hillside with no shop anywhere in sight, Jesus is right on time. Over and over and over again, we see it in John's Gospel. Jesus turns up on time. Even some of the Jews around the grave of Lazarus say, this is the one who opened the eyes of a blind man. Surely he he could have stopped Lazarus from dying. Why is Jesus late? Why does he linger when he gets news that his friend is ill? John 11 verse 5 is probably some of the most confusing words in all the gospel. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. In my mind, verse 6 shouldn't follow verse 5. In my little mind, it should say, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was sick, he rushed there as fast as he could to heal him. But thankfully, God's ways are not my ways. Why does Jesus wait? Have he really loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? Why does he not rush whenever he hears that Lazarus is sick? I wonder if you have ever been where Mary and Martha are. Have you ever been left wondering, where was Jesus when? dot, 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 left asking in your mind, if not audibly, if you had been here, things could have been so different. If those are ever questions you've thought or maybe even wrestled with, then John 11, I think this morning, has a word for you. As we walk through this passage, we're going to see how both Mary and Martha thought Jesus was too late, but actually he was right on time. See, in the scriptures, God is never late, never early, always on time. I don't know if you've seen the new BBC Northern Ireland Fly on the Wall documentary that takes into schools and films parents and teachers and their parent-teacher interviews. I personally think the teachers are incredibly brave because I would not have wanted a camera anywhere near me recording evidence of my parent-teacher interviews. But it's quite funny, they were in Malone College a couple of weeks ago. This week they were in uh, Kilkeel High School. If you haven't seen it, you should go and watch it. Because for me, the hero of the show is a wee boy called Drew from Kilkeel. Drew is in year eight. He's still probably, I think, emotionally in P7. But he's in big school now. Drew is doing well. He's settling in. He's making lots of friends. He gets his work done, but Drew's just a wee bit slow. He doesn't really work at the same pace as everyone else. I love Drew because I taught an awful lot of Drews. One of Drew's teachers says, Drew's brilliant, but he does everything in Drew time, not my time. I taught loads of kids like that, and I'm sure we all know people who will do things in their time and not our time. Sometimes we can even be tempted to apply that same logic to God, can't we? We can want him to work according to our time and not according to his. We forget that his ways are not our ways and his timing is not always our timing. Like Mary and Martha, we can start to think that God is late because he hasn't showed up when we thought he would. So let's come back to that question that Martha And Mary both ask Jesus. Martha says, if you had been here, I know that my brother would not have died. But Martha doesn't end there. She goes on to add, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Martha is actually demonstrating remarkable faith in the midst of her brother's death. She says, Jesus, I know that if you had been here, he wouldn't have died, but I still believe you're powerful. And Jesus turns to her and says these words. He says, Martha, your brother will rise again. Because we know the end of the story, we can be tempted to think that Jesus is telling Martha exactly what he's about to do. But actually, how Martha responds to Jesus' phrase is very telling. Martha says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus here is not so much telling Martha what he's about to do, but in fact, he seems to be making a suggestion, or Martha's response seems to like think that she's taking a suggestion that Jesus is saying, Martha, or Martha's saying Jesus, I do believe in the resurrection of the dead. I know he will rise again. One writer says that that little phrase, your brother will rise again, could sound a bit like to Martha, the way the platitude, well, at least they're in a better place might sound to us today. See, at times of grief, sincere comments can sound trite and a little bit cliche. They can offer cold comfort to someone who feels the pain of loss. Someone who maybe just needs a hug more than an answer in that moment. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Is he really offering Martha a hackneyed phrase or a platitude? I don't think so because he doesn't leave it with your brother will rise again. He comes back in verse 25 and says those famous words, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus tells Martha that the resurrection is not simply a concept to be discussed and debated. It's not just a theological idea to write essays on. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the one who will make resurrection life possible. And this little statement, Jesus completely redefines death. In almost every generation, death is seen as the end. But here Jesus says, it is possible to pass through death and still live. sounds like an oxymoron or a paradox. How can one die and yet still live? Jesus has spoken a lot about eternal life in John's gospel. In fact, it's one of his favorite topics. Famously in John 3, he says that the reason he came was that people could have eternal life by believing in him. John 6, Peter famously says that he will not stop following Jesus because he alone has the words of eternal life. But often when we hear the term eternal life, I think we think about it in terms of the quantity of life, that Jesus promises a life that will never end. And that's true, and that's right. But here whenever Jesus talks of eternal life, there's much more to it than just a continuous life. There is a quality of life involved here too. In John 17, Jesus is praying just before he'll go to the cross. He says these words in his prayer to his Father. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus redefines eternal life, not so much in terms of the length of life, life that will never end, but he says eternal life is this knowing God. Not in the sense of a, more, a mere intellectual knowing of God, that we know about God, but he says eternal life is being in a relationship with me. It's in a relationship where you grow to know me the way a husband knows a wife, the way family members know each other intimately. Jesus says to Martha, I am the way by which your brother will rise again. Jesus is telling Martha that it's not enough to have this kind of vague idea that, yes, there'll be a resurrection someday, and that's okay. The Christian hope is more than a a vague hope in life after death. Netflix recently launched a TV show called The Good Place. I haven't seen it but from the little trailers, it seems that a girl ends up in heaven by mistake. Um, It's not theologically accurate in any way possible. But like so many TV and film adaptations of heaven, it misses the point. Because whenever modern culture, whether it's books or TV or movies, try to depict heaven, often we see heaven as a place a little bit like Earth, but a bit nicer, a little bit better. But Christian hope is not that there's something a little bit better beyond the grave. The gospel says that we have solid hope and certainty, that we will really live, that we will have life in all its fullness beyond death. It tells us that there is a new creation. Jesus is making everything new, not just a little bit better. Our hope is total renewal. Paul describes it like this. He says, we will be with Christ, which is far better. See, heaven, the hope of eternal life, is not just good because we get to go to a place where everyone's a bit nicer. Heaven is a great hope because there we will be with Christ. We will know him as he truly is. It is a place where we will experience things that we cannot even dream of on earth. That's what Jesus is saying to Martha. Yes, your brother will rise again, but not simply in the way you think about it. But to the end of that little phrase, he adds these four little words. He says, do you believe this? Possibly four of the most important little words in this chapter. Four really important words for us here this morning. Because we come to church week by week, maybe even year by year and decade by decade. We hear of the love of God in Christ. We know, at least in our heads, that he died to save us. We believe that that he rose again from the grave. We know it's a historical fact. But Jesus says, all who live by trusting in him will never die. Do you believe this? Do you really believe that whoever lives by believing in Jesus will never truly die? Martha answers with a confident faith that says, I believe you are the Son of God. Pray that each of us would have that confidence in our hearts today as we think of that question Do we believe this? Following his encounter with Martha, John quickly changes attention and takes us to Mary. Mary asks exactly the same question as Martha, but maybe without Martha's faith at the end of it. She says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Martha seems to have it together. Mary is in floods of tears. She's distraught. Jesus sees her and he is deeply moved. The term is usually used to talk about horses snorting whenever they do want to go somewhere. It is a deep, visceral cry of anguish. Jesus sees the heartbreak of his friend Mary. And not only is he sad, but he is angry. He is angry because this is not the way things are supposed to be. These tears are not right This is not the very good world that his father had created in the beginning. Darkness and death and decay are unwelcome invaders in God's good world. It was a fifth century bishop, Cyril of Alexandria, who said, Jesus was not mourning Lazarus alone, but all humanity which is subject to death. Here at the grave of his friend Lazarus, Jesus is mourning those moments in Genesis 3, when death entered the world. He is weeping because death has begun to encroach on God's good creation. Here he comes and he stands with Mary and Martha, weeping with them. He stands with them as the man of sorrows, not distant and remote. There are moments when we we'll all feel like Mary and Martha. When we want to call out, if only we get confused and angry at what's happening in our lives and in our world. When we want to cry out, why me, why Lord? When we get outraged at sin and its effects in the world, let us look to the cross. See the one hanging there as he calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Tim Chester writes this. He says, God himself identifies with the God forsaken. On the cross, he places himself with sinners and feels the full effect of sin. So cry out to Jesus and know that he hears and grieves with you. So why does Jesus delay in coming? Why does he not come sinner? Was it to teach Martha a lesson about the resurrection and the true meaning of eternal life? Was it to teach Mary that God cares about her, that he weeps with those who weep? Was it to provide a model for us on how we should grieve with our friends? Well, maybe. Those are certainly lessons that we can learn from this passage. But if we look to John eleven four. Jesus says that he delays for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus delays in coming so that he might be glorified and the glory of the Father might be seen. If Jesus had come and healed a sick friend, well, the crowd around could have said, well, a doctor can do that. nothing special. They might have said, it's just coincidence. He was sick and now he's well. So what? There's a curious note in verse 17 and again in verse 39 where it says, Lazarus was in the grave for four days. We can read over that and almost miss it. It seems insignificant to us. But in the first century, rabbis somewhat wrongly taught that when a person died, their spirit would linger around their body for three days with some hope of that spirit re-entering them. There's no biblical warrant for such a belief, but the rabbis taught this non-biblical idea. So here, when John is careful to say he was in the grave four days, he says it twice, he wants us to get this. He is saying beyond a shadow of a doubt, Lazarus was really dead. And when Lazarus was really dead, Jesus simply called out to him like a mother shouting at her teenage son to get out of bed. Lazarus, come out. Three words. Three words and one who was dead is suddenly alive again. That is the power and the glory of the Son of God that is revealed in John 11. Lazarus gets up, walks out. He who was dead is now alive. Jesus delayed in coming to see his friend so that he could be glorified, so that he could demonstrate his power over death. Death, that great enemy. Here we see him trample it underfoot. John 11 is pointing forward to what Jesus will accomplish on that first Easter morning. See, Lazarus' resurrection is only a sign of a much greater resurrection. Lazarus' resurrection is just a sign because Lazarus will die again. You cannot go to Palestine and meet Lazarus walking around telling his remarkable story. Lazarus' resurrection pointed forward to Jesus' own resurrection. Tim Chester says that whereas Lazarus came out struggling, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, Jesus left the grave clothes behind. He would never need them again. He rose with a permanent new resurrection body. Lazarus rose to die again. Jesus rose to live forever. What amazing hope this offers us in the midst of all our if only questions. When it seems like God is late, every time we hear ourselves asking If you had been here, let us look to the cross and see the one who is the resurrection and the life. Augustine once described Christ. He said, he is the one who endured death as a lamb, but devoured it as a lion. Christ endured death as a lamb on Good Friday. But on that resurrection Sunday, he devoured it like a lion. So in Revelation 1, we read of Jesus standing and declaring these words. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died. But look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. This is our God. This is our Savior. He alone is our hope. The one who believes in him will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in him will never die. Do you believe this? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for what was accomplished there. We thank you for Christ, the Lamb who was slain. We praise you this morning. As we have already heard, the grave was not the end for him, and nor does it need to be the end for us. For in him we can have life in all its fullness. And that's the power that rose Christ from the dead, now still lives and works among all those who trust in him. So, Father, we pray as we leave this place for another week, may we go in that resurrection power, in the hope of the one who endured death as a lamb, but devoured it as a lion. In his name we pray. Amen.